when the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people and finally arrived in Greece where he stayed three months. Because the Jews made a plot against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, uh, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed, sailed from Philippi after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man called Eticus, who was uh, sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Athos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Athos, we took him aboard and went on to uh, Mithon. And next day we set sail from there and arrived off Pierce. After that, we crossed over to Samos, and on the following day, arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and 
all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he had bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you, night and day, with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Well, if you have your Bibles open uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 20, uh, we're going to have our, our last look in the book of Acts, looking at Paul's missionary journeys. Uh, next week, uh, heading on up to Easter, we're going to think about why did Jesus uh, suffer and die, thinking about answers uh, that we have for that from the book of Hebrews. Um, but we're going to focus our attention this evening, particularly uh, on what Paul says to the elders in Ephesus. In a sense, we're going to review Paul's mission strategy uh, that he shares with the elders in Ephesus. So for the last few weeks, uh, we've been on something of a whistle-stop tour of Paul's mission. We've seen him in Asia. We've seen him in Europe. We've seen him proclaiming wherever he goes, Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, we've seen lots of opposition but we've also seen lots of people from different backgrounds, different cultures coming to faith, being established in church, and the church has been growing. Uh, for those of us who've been around, it's been exciting, it's been encouraging, it's been a good way, I think, for us to start uh, the first few months of this year to remind ourselves of who our God is. Um, but as we come to an end, I guess there's a temptation to think, well, that was then, this is now, that was Paul, that was Paul the Apostle, that's not me, there can be that temptation to think, well, those are wonderful stories, um, but they're relegated to the pages of history. But you know, one of the good, good news things that comes through the book of Acts is the reminder time and again uh, that this is not all on Paul. It's Jesus uh, who is building his church. It's God's power uh, that we see demonstrated through Paul and through uh, others uh, in the Christian community, and it's the same spirit uh, that's at work in Paul that is ours as a church. And so I want us to, to leave Paul's missionary journeys taking heart uh, that this is our God, uh, the God who builds his church. Uh, but here we are. Last week we were in uh, Ephesus, Acts chapter 19. Uh, we see uh, Paul establishing the church. We saw a, a riot and now here we find a return to uh, meet with the elders of Ephesus, uh, where Paul both reviews um, what he's done, and he also looks forward. Um, and it's one more chance for us uh, to draw some principles for ourselves from Paul's 
missionary journeys. Uh, so we got a sermon with uh, five points this evening, which sounds fairly intimidating, uh, but I'll draw your attention to the story of Eutychus. Um, Paul says it's okay to preach till midnight, so let's just bed ourselves in and let's get ready to hear some of these principles from Paul. The first principle, uh, mission, God's mission requires humble service. Look with me again at verse 18. Uh, the, the elders of Ephesus are summoned to meet with Paul, and when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. His attitude, his pattern from the beginning for the two and a half years that he was with them and through his mission was to serve with humility. He endured suffering, he endured opposition. As he served among them, he tells them in verse 33 to verse 35 that he took no pay and all the time that he was with them. He didn't want anyone to be able to speak badly of him, to say, oh, this guy Paul, he's just preaching uh, to make a name for himself and to get rich uh, and famous. Rather, uh, he worked, uh, and in so doing, provided an example of serving the weak and the poor with how he used his resources. And when we uh, look across uh, these chapters of Acts, we discover here is Paul who serves the church. Here is Paul who serves the community. Sometimes that's through making tents and making tents well to the glory of God. Sometimes it's teaching. Sometimes it's evangelism. But the question for us is this. What's the key to this humble service? How is he able to keep going serving the church uh, while he faces so much threat and opposition? Notice what he says in verse 19. I serve the Lord. As he served the church, as he served the city, as he served people, he was conscious that he was serving Jesus. That here he is uh, loving others, but at the same time, he's pursuing the glory of Jesus in all aspects of his mission. And that uh, example of Jesus, the humble servant, enables him to humbly serve. Uh, one of the things that I get to do uh, as a representative of Presbytery is I get to interview uh, potential ministry candidates uh, and somebody uh, handed this piece of information on to me or this piece of advice uh, when you're looking at potential leaders in any church context do they pass the chair stacking test very important test is somebody willing to show up early to get stuck in uh, willing to stay late and to pack up um, I was a, I worked in a co-op supermarket in Sky for about seven years. Uh, most of the time I was on the day shift, but I spent one summer uh, on the night shift. Very different world uh, when you're locked in for seven or eight hours at night. Um, still serving the public uh, during that time, but my service was unseen and unnoticed. Um, as Christians, maybe a lot of the service we do is the equivalent of night shift ministry. Uh, we're doing stuff that isn't necessarily upfront public notice. So the question for us is, is, do I serve others for the glory of God even when no one else is watching? We're called, like Paul, to love our family, our neighbors, our community for the sake of Jesus. And so as we reflect, would we pass the chair stacking test as we think about uh, humble service? What we see of Paul is that he lived as an imitator of Jesus. Uh, Jesus, the one who humbled himself, left the glory of heaven uh, to come down to live among us, ultimately to humble himself, to suffer and 
die for us, taking our place, bearing our sin and our shame. For the sake of gospel mission, do we embody that kind of humble service ourselves? So that's the first principle. Mission requires humble service. The next thing we learn from Paul is that mission requires teaching. Now, we saw last week in Acts chapter 19, when Paul arrived in Ephesus, he did his usual thing. He began in the synagogue, uh, teaching the Jews that the Messiah they were waiting for had come, and his name was Jesus. He spent three months in the synagogue before uh, they drove him out, and then he spent two years teaching in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And what we discover um, as Paul addresses the Ephesian elders is that as he taught them during that time, he gave them depth and he gave them breath. You look at verse 20. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. Verse 27. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Paul knows this about this young church. They need to know the Bible. They need to have confidence of God's truth. They need to understand and appreciate the gospel and how it's the center of of the Christian life. And so he doesn't teach superficially. He is aiming for maturity. He is laying a foundation. He's providing them essential truth that they can then pass on to others. And what we see too, as a quote from John Stott, was that Paul was thorough. He shared all possible truth with all possible people in all possible ways. We see that in verse 20. He shared all possible truth. He, he didn't hesitate to teach anything that would be helpful. And we see he does it with all possible people. He's declaring it to both Jews and Greeks. And he's doing it in all possible ways. He's doing it publicly. He's doing it privately. Sometimes he's preaching. Other times he's debating. Sometimes he's lecturing. Other times he's having in-depth conversations. Uh, Paul was a teacher. He knew that people needed the truth about God if they were to be saved and if they were to grow in holiness. Takes us to that wonderful story uh, of Eutychus. Uh, Paul knows uh, when he goes to Troas, he's got one night and a bit with these people. So what does he do? Uh, he teaches. He teaches till midnight. Uh, poor Eutychus uh, is struggling, uh, understandably perhaps. Uh, he falls asleep and he dies. Three-story drop. He's dead. What happens Paul pauses just long enough uh, to raise him from the dead, uh, to share the Lord's Supper with the church, and then to get going again for perhaps another five or six hours. God's truth matters. It's not that Paul is long-winded and he likes the sound of his own voice. He understood that truth matters in a church. There was a special focus uh, in Paul's ministry, verse 24, uh, he said his task, end of verse 24, his task was testifying to the gospel of God's grace. What did he declare in verse 21? He declared to Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. He's testifying about the gospel of God's grace, God's free and loving gift of salvation made available through the finished work of the Lord Jesus. So he spent a lot of time teaching from the Old Testament to show that Jesus is 
uh, the promised one, that Jesus fulfills all those rich promises that we find uh, in the Bible. Uh, so whether we're thinking about the promise made at the time when Adam and Eve fell into sin, that one would come and he would crush the head of the serpent, Paul would say, this one is Jesus. He has come and he has uh, gone to the cross to defeat the power of Satan and sin and death for his people. Uh, he would have uh, drawn their attention to the promise made to Abraham, one of your descendants will bring blessing to the nation. Jesus is that blessing. Uh, he would have looked at David, the great king, uh, the one who uh, hopes were centered on that one from his family uh, would be uh, the redeemer, the great king that God promised. And again, say, that's Jesus, the one who has now taken the throne of heaven and rules and reigns forever. That Paul was demonstrating to the people uh, that Jesus has come as a gift of God's grace, as the only way uh, to be saved. And because of that, uh, people needed to repent of sin, to change their allegiance to, to allegiance and loyalty to God, to doing battle against sin, to having faith in Jesus alone, depending on him to save them from sin, and depending on him so that we might have a just verdict, a righteous verdict, when we stand before God. And so Paul is a, a teacher, and his teacher focuses on, as a teacher, he focuses attention on Jesus as God's promise and the gospel of God's grace. And he wants them to become mature. Our youngest nephew, he's now maybe three or four months old, he started on solids. Uh, this week, uh, too much uh, celebration uh, from his parents. Uh, life gets much easier when babies are on solids, but also, I guess, as a sign, here is a child who's growing healthy, who's growing up. Something to celebrate. In our own lives, are we growing spiritually? Are we receiving from God in his word? What is the place of the Bible in our day-to-day -day life and Christian experience? Are we growing in maturity? Um, and bearing in mind the fact that Paul was a teacher, and recognizing that we're not Paul the Apostle, um, but understanding that we are messengers, are we talking to others about Jesus, about how he's central to our hope? Are we looking for ways to share our story uh, to point others uh, to Jesus as Lord? His mission requires teaching. We have a part to play in that. The next principle that we see is that mission requires devotion to Jesus. So verses 22 to 24 uh, are significant. Paul is looking ahead, uh, led by the Spirit, to consider his future prospects. And what it seems from a human point of view is that his future looks fairly bleak. Verse 23, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. But for him, he doesn't seem too concerned about that. His only concern seems to be about being faithful to the Lord Jesus. Verse 24, he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord 
Jesus has given you. Amazing word. Uh, he wants every day uh, to be on this race of faith, uh, to be living in faith and obedience, anticipating uh, that prize of eternal salvation with Christ that's laid up in heaven for him. That's his goal. That's what drives him day by day. And he wants to complete the task that he's been given. He's called as an apostle to bring the good news of God's salvation through Jesus uh, to the Gentile world. That's his unique calling, and he wants to give himself uh, totally, wholeheartedly to that task. Uh, we see Paul willing to be an instrument in the Redeemer's hand. Uh, he wants to live his life directing others towards God's grace and love demonstrated in the sending of Jesus, his son, to be the savior of the world. This is the same Paul who, when he was writing to the Philippians, said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When we look at his example, we understand that those are not just nice-sounding words. He absolutely meant it. He was devoted to Jesus as Lord. I find it interesting sometimes to read the stories of the, the training regimes of uh, some of the, Britain's top athletes, uh, whether that's long-distance runners or whether that's boxers. Um, it's really fascinating to, to listen to their sacrifice, time away from family, maybe months at a time, altitude training, uh, long hours, enduring agony, and why? For the glory of an Olympic medal for the prospect of winning or retaining a world championship. And they will go through anything, it seems, in order to win that prize. Now, by contrast, um, a couple of weeks ago, my friend sent me a message saying, hey, the, 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 the Sky Half Marathon is on uh, this June. I hear it sounds like a nice race. Would you like to join me? Took me maybe five seconds to uh, consider the cost and say, absolutely not. Uh, I was not willing to count that particular cost. I'm sure that I could have done it anyway. Uh, but here's the question for us. When it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to serving Jesus, which are we? Are we the willing to do anything or are we the couch potato Christian? Paul's example, the desire of God for us is that we would be wholly devoted to the Lord Jesus, and that be reflected in our priorities and our values and how we live and how we serve. Am I willing, are you willing to suffer uh, in mission for Jesus' sake and in response to God's grace to us, the suffering of Jesus for us? And I was reminded of uh, the words of the, the missionary uh, Jim Elliot, who gave his life seeking to bring uh, the gospel uh, to uh, tribes people. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Mission requires devotion to the Lord Jesus. Uh, we also see from Paul's life and mission that mission requires the local church. All the way through uh, the book of Acts, we discover that Paul worked quickly uh, to establish churches and to establish elders 
uh, within those churches. So, so here, having spent two and a half years in Ephesus, there's clearly a church has been planted, uh, elders have been appointed, uh, and now he calls these elders uh, to speak with him. Paul was leaving, uh, but they would remain. Uh, so what is his message uh, to uh, the elders and to uh, them as the local church? his message is this, keep watch, be on guard. Three different aspects to that. First of all, at the beginning of verse 28, he says, keep watch over yourselves. Uh, To the church leadership in particular, he's saying, you need personal holiness. You need to be devoted to the truth. You need to be uh, sharing and living out the gospel in your own experience. Reminded me of the words of Robert Murray McShane, where he said, my people's greatest need is my personal holiness. So they're called to keep watch over themselves. They're also called to keep watch over the church. Continuing in verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now, Paul says something amazing about the church there. He's saying to the leaders, remember, you're shepherds, but ultimately you're under shepherds. Uh, What does he say uh, about the church? He says, the Holy Spirit has appointed them as overseers. Uh, The church doesn't belong to them. It belongs to God, the Father. uh, And the church has been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is a, a flock with infinite value. This is a flock who ultimately are being shepherded by Father, Son, and Spirit. The local church matters to God, and the local church matters uh, in mission. Therefore, it's important that they also keep watch and guard against false teaching and false teachers. Verse 29, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Uh, Internal dangers, external dangers. And they're called to defend the truth, to protect the sheep from lies and against spiritual attack. The local church matters. Eldership in a local church matters. Let me encourage you to pray for your elders. They are shepherds looking to feed you from God's word, looking to uh, protect you by presenting gospel truth. They are a gift from of God for the church in order to guide and strengthen and help grow. So pray for your elders. Uh, But remember, too, that mission is not a solo project. Mission is something that the church does. Uh, I love the list uh, of verse 4, chapter 20, verse 4. Apart from the fact that the the names are not that straightforward, uh, what we see, and we see this so often, when Paul is on mission, he doesn't go by himself. Uh, He has others who he's training up uh, to work alongside him. He has others to support him. Uh, People with different gifts, but they're all engaged on mission together. Paul uh, was careful to establish local churches because they were outposts from which the the good news could then spread 
in communities and cities and regions. So the local church matters for God's mission. And so we need to pray that for us as a local church and for the local churches that you belong to if you're visiting, that those churches would be uh, defended and guarded in the truth against lies and against opposition and spiritual attack. And just to think a little bit more about uh, the place of the church in mission, remember the words of Jesus. He said it to his disciples by extension to us. He said, they will know you are Christians by your love. Now, he doesn't mean as an individual goes out and loves others. There, he means they will know you are Christians by the way that you have loved one with another, by your shared love. And so one of the things that we need to think through is how can you and I, how can we as a local church, how can we make that love more visible uh, to the people who don't come into church, uh, to the people who we live with, to the people uh, who are around about us and who we work with. Our shared love is part of our mission. So mission requires the local church. Uh, and the last principle, a hugely important principle, is that mission requires God's grace. In verse 25, Paul says, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Paul would never see the church that he planted ever again. How can he be okay with that? How can he not be stressed out wondering, how is this church going to do without me? Verse 32 is the answer. Here is what he says to the Ephesian elders. Now I commit you to God, and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. God's grace is the key. God's grace begins the church. God's grace will sustain the church. So what Paul does, knowing he's never going to see them again, is he commits this church to God, their true shepherd, trusting Again, to quote from Philippians, that he who began a good work in you would carry it on to completion. Paul knows the power of God's grace. He knows that it's grace that saves a person. Uh, he knows that it's grace at work in a person's life that sanctifies, makes clean, makes more like Jesus a person. And he knows that it's grace that secures a person's final inheritance. In other words, he knows that grace is the A to Z of the Christian life, and so he commits the church to the God of grace and to his word. So his whole mission rested on this trust. This is God's work. Jesus is the one who will continue to build his church. Even if I'm not here, I can trust that God will continue what he has begun. That's not an easy thing. Um, before being here, I spent four years in international student ministry, and that was one of the really difficult things. Uh, you spend maybe a year uh, with people, uh, introducing them to Christianity, teaching them uh, the gospel, seeing some of them uh, respond in faith, but then you send them home, and a lot of the times not having a clue uh, how things would go with them. It's really hard, actually, to commit people uh, to God's care, we want to see 
uh, how they're getting on, but that's not always the case. And Paul's lesson to this church is, I might go, but God is still with you, and that's what matters. God's word of grace belongs to you, and that's what's going to sustain you. He trusted that implicitly. Um, small picture of that. Uh, toddlers on a Friday uh, happens uh, in that hall. Um, and it's, it's nice to see there's certain patterns and traditions uh, that go along with the toddlers. So come 5 to 11, um, it's time to pack up. Tables and chairs go away. Uh, the toys go away. And all the kids help with that. The thing that they've started to do that's new is they've started to help. Put the, we, we turn the sofas around so that um, people can play with their kids not to sit on the floor. So um, the kids... Uh, come the end of the time, have taken to helping to lift the sofa. Now, if you've ever tried to lift it, they're fairly hefty, uh, those sofas. So you can see them, they're working hard, uh, and they're loving that sense of helping and being involved in this project. But here's the good news. Success in sofa lifting is not down to them. They're playing their part, but they are not ultimately the source of strength. And you know, that's the comfort for us in mission. It's God's mission. It's God's strength. It's God's grace. It's not on us. God is pleased to use us, and that's wonderful. And we should be encouraged by that, but ultimately it relies on his grace and power, not our ability. So we leave uh, Paul's missionary journeys uh, remembering uh, that this same God that built his church then is the same God who continues to build his church now, and there's an invitation for all of us to do our part uh, to get on board. 